Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on surrender to unsafe. And here's the thought I had. Um, last Sunday leaving, that we must surrender to unsafe. We must surrender to unsafe. Now, little did I know that uh, throughout the course of this week, I had um, three life groups, and so much of the life groups um, began to circle around and bring just greater depth. And then Wednesday night, we had um, Nolan spoke Wednesday night, did a wonderful job, and, and what he spoke on just continued to uh, reiterate what was in my heart. And so it was just such a journey this week. But it started with the notion, the thought that we must surrender to unsafe. We cannot go around and live a life that is safe. We cannot possibly follow Christ. Uh, the premise, I don't know if anybody's seen the Chronicles of Narnia, but the little girl Susan uh, was asking um, the beaver about Aslan, and the beaver said, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's not safe, but he's good. If you are trying to follow a safe God, you will end up following a different God. Do you want me to say that again? If you're trying to follow a safe God, you'll end up following a completely different God. God, the God of self-preservation, the God of pride, the God of our flesh that tells us to do everything that we can to make sure that we're safe. Nolan Wednesday talked about God wanting to write our story. He is the author of our story. Remember, it says Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the author of our story, but so often we want to take the pen from him because we are scared of what he might write because he might not write a safe ending. He might not write a pleasant chapter. He might write a chapter that in the moment seems that it is dangerous and destructive or loss. And we don't have the foresight and we don't have the perspective to understand that that chapter builds on, the next chapter builds onto it and it is a prerequisite and that chapter must be there for us to get the fulfillment of the following chapter. And when we take the pen and we try to rewrite the chapter we in, we're in, we risk the redemptive chapter that was supposed to follow. 
the increase, the more we forsake. I saw a quote this week. I don't remember who put it, but it says, don't pawn your heavenly treasure to salvage your earthly possession. Don't pawn it. What a, what a great, just practical picture. We just pawn it. We take the pen. You know, I had this thought while Donald was speaking. The pen is a pen. The pen is a pen. If you take the pen, it becomes a cage, a pen. The desire to hold the pen is a pen. And you become one that is trapped and no longer free. This is not a sermon about masks today, by the way. We like to take every sermon right now and somehow make it about our political persuasion. It's not. But if it's applicable, put it on and wear the shoe that fits, not the mask again. See, everything we hear, we want to do it a certain way. We want to write our own story out of fear. Fear leads to control. Fear manifests in an attempt to control. And what we can't control causes frustration and anger. And so we try harder to control. We squeeze tighter the little puppy. And we suffocate things to death. Because we try to hold the pen. We try to be safe. We try. Uh, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in death and destruction. Yeah. There's a, that means there's a way that seems wrong to a man that seems like death and destruction that actually leads to life. And we can't be trusted without the help of the Holy Spirit to discern the difference. We've got to come up higher and change our perspective. But one thing we can know for sure as a bedrock of our faith that following him is not safe. If that's in your theology, your theology's foundation is completely off. So how much harder is it to discern rightly when you're starting your discerning process with the wrong starting foundation? If your hypothesis is off, your theory will always be off. So we have to at least, I don't even know if that's the right scientific terms, but so sounded smart, didn't it? We need to change our starting point if we're going to get the right ending point. The call is not to come and be safe. You know, fear, we want to take the pen, we want to control. Fear begets fear. And faith begets faith. If you're afraid and you want to control you begin to have more fear and want to control. It snowballs. And the more you release and trust God and you see his faithfulness, the more you want to release and trust God and enjoy the story he's writing for you. 
But much of what you beget starts with what your understanding is at the starting point to see if you're even willing to offer any of it up to faith. He's not safe. You got to surrender to unsafe. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. Faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. In the Passion, it says, Now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. I want to read that one more time, okay? And I want to go real slow and please lock in every word. Now, faith brings, say brings, our hopes into reality, okay? Faith brings our hopes into reality. They're not into reality. Faith brings what we hope for into reality. Are you with me? Brings it into reality. And then that once that thing comes in to reality, that thing that we had hoped for that our faith brings into reality becomes a foundation. All right? So we can build something on the thing that we hoped for through faith that we saw come into reality. It becomes a foundation needed to acquire things we long for. We don't even have the foundation to build on what we are longing for until we have faith and hope for some things and trust God. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Now look at this. If that's faith, and we know fear is the opposite of faith, then I want to suggest that we could rewrite this verse with fear. Now fear... Brings our dreads into reality. Fear goes and gets what you're dreading and it carries it over into your reality. Okay? Fear brings our dreads into reality and then that thing that came into reality becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we do not desire. Say it again, okay. Fear brings our dreads into reality and becomes the foundation needed. You need a foundation. So what you fear brings our dreads into reality. Those dreads now become a foundation needed to acquire the things we do not desire. So if you need a foundation to really build yourself a house of the things you don't desire, then fear is a good starting point. Fear some things you dread and then you can build a foundation. You can have a house full of stuff you don't want. Sound exciting? It's all the evidence required to prove what's still unseen. That last sentence, we just said exactly the same. And then that house will be all the evidence you need to prove what's unseen. So what's that going to be? More dread. Because I've just dreaded, I brought it in, I built a foundation, I got a house, so that means everything else out there that's left for me to experience in my life is probably going to taste a whole lot like this. So now I dread more stuff, so I'm going to bring some more stuff in, I'm going to build some more foundations, and I'm going to build a whole city of dread. 
Job. Let's talk about Job. Nobody likes to talk about Job. Job's so taboo, we might talk about him wrong. We might talk about Job wrong. We might talk about suffering wrong. We might say God is one who causes people to suffer. If we talk about Job wrong, we might, we might get some theology messed up. Everybody just likes to stay away from Job, or just me. I like to stay away from Job. But let's go to Job chapter 1. I believe God wants to say something to us today from Job. There was a man. There was a man. No. Oh, sorry. There is a man. Yeah. Thank you, Nehemiah, for changing. Can I just affirm something over Nehemiah in front of this whole body? Nehemiah Benjamin Cox is a prayer warrior. Prayer warrior. He'd be in the top 10 people I'd ask to pray for me in the world. Nehemiah Benjamin Cox, son of my right hand. He is a prayer warrior, I'm telling you. He has a revelation of words and power. He is, I mean, if he hears someone say something contrary to truth, he will interrupt our entire family. Your words have power. Your words have power. Don't come into agreement with that. Your words have power. And we had an important meeting this week, and we asked our children to pray over us before we went. And I'm just telling you, they all are powerful prayer warriors. But there is a special anointing that rests on Nehemiah Benjamin to be an intercessor, prayer warrior. He's powerful. Job, chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz not Oz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all men of the east. His sons used to go on and hold a feast in the house of each one of his day, and they would send word and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Verse 5. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send word to them and consecrate them, getting up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings accordingly to the number of them all. For Job said, quote, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job did so continually. Say continually. Continue. Thank you, baby. Continually. Now I want you to see a plate spinning on top of a pendulum. Say continually. Continually. Continually, come on, spin it with continually. Come on, you're saying continually like you're spinning. Come on, continually, 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 continually. Spin it, spin it, spin it, spin it, spin it, spin it. Continually. Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Perhaps my sins have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Perhaps my sins have sinned. 
Perhaps, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Perhaps my son, oh gosh, there's another son. Oh, perhaps my son has sinned and cursed God. Oh no, this one over here. Perhaps my son has sinned and cursed God in his heart. Perhaps my daughter, perhaps my son has sinned and cursed Continually. So he was perfect, but that was Old Testament perfect, okay? Do you want Old Testament perfect in your life? Or do you want New Testament perfect? Amen. I like it. Come on. They helping me. Woo! Listen to this. Job 3, 25. For the thing, let me just tell you, Job 1, 13 through 22, you see the story. Job lost everything he had. He lost all his kids. He lost all his family, except for his wife. And that was a shame. Because she tried to tell him to curse God and die. She was not helpful. <laughs> but he lost everything. But look what it says in Job 3. We're not going to read through all that just for sake of time. That's Job 1, 13 through 22. You see, Jesus had actually asked Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered him? Maybe you should try something with him. How many people want Jesus to have that conversation about you? <laughs> How about Beverly? You should, maybe you should try something with Beverly. You ever thought about that? God is so amazing. Satan thinks he's in control and he's doing stuff. And God, like, gives him the ideas of what he wants him to do. This is gonna make, some of y'all are going to be like, oh, wait, you're saying God? No, just hold on a minute. But God gave him the idea, right? Here, let me not get ahead of myself. Shoot. Job 3, 25. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. And that which I was afraid of is coming to me. For the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of has come unto me. Almost sounds like fear brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things that we don't desire. Are you with me? Is that what it's saying? Is that what Job said? The things I've dreaded have become a reality, and then they've built a foundation for me to get all the stuff that I don't desire, the things that I really don't want. NASB says, For what I fear comes upon me, and what I dread encounters me. In the message, it says, the worst of my fears has come true. What I've dreaded most has happened. 
My repose is shattered. My peace destroyed. No rest for me ever. Death has invaded life. Death has invaded life. That's the worst thing that he dreaded. Are you with me? Death has invaded life. Death has invaded life. That's the worst possible thing that could happen. Death has invaded life. In my safe life, the worst thing that could ever happen would be for death to invade it. It's what I feared the most has come upon me. Job chapter 4, all the way through Job 37, I believe is one of the most accurate, prolific captures of our current age. Job 4 through 37. I believe our society today, in a nutshell, is Job 4 through 37. Every day it's on a repeating cycle. Job is having a conversation, an argument, with three of his friends about why God did what he did and does what he does. And Job was trying to defend himself and make sense of it himself while he's trying to Debunk what they think. This is called religion. This is called religion. I don't have peace. I don't have hope. I don't have joy. I don't have love, but I think I know about it. So I'll just talk about the things that you're doing and the things that you're not doing. And if I talk about them loud enough and long enough, we'll forget about the fact that I don't have anything. Y'all, I don't know if y'all are picking this up right now, what I'm saying. There is such a tsunami of manipulation right now. I was talking with John. What's wrong with the church is we are fake media too. We are fake news too. There is a war, there is a war going on. And religion is a form of godliness that denies the power of it. And there's a world that is, it can't hear anything of substance, anything of truth. And they may not even know, they may not even know they believe in God. They may not even know that they have a radar for truth, but every man does. And they know that they're dissatisfied. They know that they're not hearing it. And they come to the church and we don't have anything to say because we have a form of godliness without the power because we are trying to live a life that pleases the world as well. We're using the same standard of success. We're using the same methods of avoidance of the pain that the world's trying to avoid. And we look the same. So we have this just blah, 4 through 37 argument back and forth 
this is why God did it, this is why God did it, this is why God did it. No, it couldn't have been that because I'm amazing and I did this and I'm perfect and this has happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. All I know is I'm just miserable. And what I feared the most has come upon me. Job 38, God speaks now. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens the divine plan by words without knowledge? Now tighten the belt on your waist like a man. Get, stand up, Job. And I shall ask you, and you inform me, big boy. Come on, I mean, you, I hear you, buddy. You're telling everybody who I am. I'm calling your bluff. I don't think you know who I am. I don't think you knew who I was to start with because you kept trying to spin plates like I couldn't keep your kids. And then when it didn't happen like you thought you could make it happen by spinning the plates, you've tried to find where to assess blame for 35 verses. No, you didn't. You didn't blame God. I, I heard all that, guys. I know. Don't, he never blamed God, right? But he tried to decide if he should blame himself, if he should, if he should blame his friends, if he should blame his sons, if he should blame whoever. I have to find a reason in all of this stuff. I have to make it fit in some religious box. So, I'm going to ask you something. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who sets its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the measuring line over it? Oh, what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together... And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who enclosed the sea with doors when it went out from the womb busting forth? And when it made, when I made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling bands. And I placed boundaries on it and set a boat and doors. And I said, as far as this point you shall come, but no farther. And here your proud waves shall stop. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning, Job? Have you ever got up one day and said, son, it's time? Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and made the dawn know its place so that it would take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked would be shaken off from it? It is changed like clay under the seal and they stand out like a garment. Their light is withheld from the wicked and the uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea and walked in the depth of the ocean, Job? Have the gates of death been revealed to you and have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Enlighten me, Job. Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And darkness, where is its place? That you would take it to its territory and discern the past to its home? You know, for you were born then. <laughs> you know, Joe, you were there, remember? 
Oh, no, no, I don't know. Were, were you there? Were you there when we did all that? You were born then, and the number of your days is great, Job, right? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow, and have you seen the storehouses of the hell, which I have reserved for a time of distress, for a day of war and battle? Where is the way that the light is divided and the east wind scattered on the earth? Who has split the open a channel for the flood and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on the land without people in a desert, without a person in it, to satisfy the waste and desolate land and to make the seeds of grouse to sprout? Does the rain have a father? Or who has fathered the drops of dew? From whose womb has come the ice and the frost of heaven who has given it birth? Water becomes hard like stone and the surface of the deep is in prison. Can you tie up the chains of Pleiades or untie the cords of Orion? Can you move around the stars, Job? Can you bring out a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinance of heaven or do you establish their rule over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds so that the abundance of water will cover you? Can you send flashes of lightning, Job, so that they may go and you say, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? Who can count the clouds by wisdom and pour out water jars of the heavens when the dust hardens into a mass and the clouds stick together. Can you hunt the prey for the lioness, Job? Do you feed all the lions in the land, Job? Or satisfy the appetite of young lions when they crouch in their hiding places and lie in wait in their lair? Who prepares feed for the raven, Job, when it's young cry to God and wonder about without food? Talk to me, Job. Give me some insight. Help me understand all that you know about how this thing works and explain to me why this has happened to you and your family because you know. Job 39, God continues for sake of time, shows his power through nature, all the wonders of nature. Job 40 Verse 1, then the Lord says to Job, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who rebukes God give an answer. Then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I, I am insignificant. What can I say in response to you? Job is getting it now. I put my hand on my mouth. Everybody just put your hand on your mouth. I have spoken once. And I will not reply. Or twice. <laughs> I did, maybe twice. <laughs> and I will add nothing more. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind and said, Now tighten the belt of your waist like a man. I will ask you and you instruct me. Will you really nullify my judgment? Will you condemn me so that you may be justified? Will you condemn me so that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with pride and dignity and clothe yourself, clothe yourself with honor and majesty. Let out your outburst of anger and look at everyone who is arrogant and humble him. Look at everyone who is arrogant and humble him and trample down the wicked where they stand. Hide them together in the dust and prison them in the hidden place. Then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. When you do all of that, Job... I'll get on board with your plate spinning. And we'll both worship you. 
But until you can do all that, you need to find a place and be quiet and rest. Job 41, God shows his power in creatures. He keeps going. Job 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no plan is impossible for you. Who is this who conceals advice without knowledge? He's, he's almost like, it's him. He's, like, he's one of them, right? They're condemning him, but he's fighting back too. Who is this? Therefore, I have declared that which, that which I did not understand. Who was that guy that was trying to say all that stuff? I didn't know what I was even doing, God. I'm sorry. Is that what it says? Come on. <clears throat> Things went wonderful for me, which I do not know. Things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. Please listen and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I had heard about you. Reminds me of the parable of the talents. I had an idea about what kind of God you were, and so I was perfect, and I was a plate spinner, but now I've seen you. Thank you, Lord, for giving me that little attitude, no, adjustment to Thanks for letting me see what's really going on behind the curtain, behind the scenes, what's bigger than me because I had a very small understanding and it only fit in some very small parameters about why this could have possibly happened. But now that I have seen you, it opens a whole world of possibilities. but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I retract. <laughs> 32 verses, 32 chapters. Can we take those out? Can we condense Job down, please, Lord? Could you have just let the enemy take my family and then just went ahead and told me how awesome you were? Yeah, I didn't start that conversation, Job. I didn't tell you to live 30 years in religion. I didn't tell you to try to humanize me and water me down and make me fit in all your little systems and boxes. I didn't tell you to do that, Job. You're the one that decided to try to argue with three friends. I've been trying to show you who I am the whole time but you just kept looking at the wrong place. Man's understanding, man's wisdom. And I repent, sitting on dust and ashes. Verse 10, Then the Lord also restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased double all that Job had. Say double. Then all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before came to him and they ate bread with him in his house and they sympathized with him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of money and each a ring of gold. 
and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand female donkeys, and he also had seven sons and three daughters. He named the first Jemimah, the second Kazai, and the third Karen Hupak. I don't know how to say that. In, the, in all the land, no women were found as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years, saw his sons and his grandsons, four generations. And Job died, an old man full of his days, full of days. What's the story of Job that we want to avoid? Job was a religious man who had heard about God. And he tried to do all the things you're supposed to do to please the God that he had heard about. But God, in his great mercy, wanted Job to know him, not just serve him. So he says, hey, have you considered Job? <laughs> have you considered Job? I've been sitting around here thinking about Job. I've got a plan for Job. I want to give Job double what he already has. And I want him to enjoy it like he never has. I want to give him double, and I want him to have the double and have enjoy it more than he enjoyed the half. Because he doesn't have to maintain the double like he had to maintain the half. Are you with me? It's not just about God getting double to Job. It's about God letting Job know him, see him, trust him, believe him, rest in him. And just so happens, he got double. That's the story of Job. Is that a bad story? How many people would like double? How many people would like peace in what you've got? Never mind double. Well, you got to surrender to unsafe. Whatever it takes. Guys, light affliction. We make assessments about God based on fingernails. Based on raises. Based on <laughs> the whole life is a vapor. The whole life is the dash between two dates. How small is the hour that you worked and got a quarter more? We literally begin to try to define God by minute circumstances. I would even go so far as to say all of his kids dying. Dude, 
in eternity, they just ended a little bitty portion of their life. <laughs> so that God could give Job a large portion of life full of revelation of his heart. With God, that's a small price to pay. But you thought he was safe. He's not safe. He's good. Do you want him safe or do you want him good? Because safe is not good. Safe is bound. Safe is captive. Safe is not free. Freedom take risk. So we have to surrender to unsafe if we're going to know what's really going on and what's in the heart of God for us. Even in our religious systems, even in our plate spinning, how much do you surrender to fear in controlling your children? What if they sin? What if they devour? And we try to control so much, we raise them where they have no immunity to anything because we've sterilized their life so greatly by our ability to control their surroundings. And the enemy has a heyday with them and a free time with them because we thought we were the God of their universe. And if we pray enough and if we spend enough plates and if we every time we think they had a feast and may have dishonored God, we'll, we'll continually do it. But it's born out of a place of fear and control, not faith and hope. I'm about halfway done, so I was afraid of this today. So I think we're going to pick up next week. There's absolutely no way I'm going to try to jam this in. Let me just end by saying what Job feared the most has come upon him twice in Job 3 he said what I feared the most has come upon me I was trying to spin plates but then he went deeper than what he had heard and he went with what he saw and the thing that he feared the most changed Are you with me? The thing that he feared the most changed. He became more in awe of God than he was in awe of what he may lose.
And because he became more in awe of God, the awe of God came upon him. He was what he feared the most. I love the second part of that verse. What I feared the most has come upon me and what I have dreaded has encountered me. And if you look at that and you break that down in the original language, it's, it's in awe of, it's in reverence of, it's, it's what you're blown away by. So you see this encounter. After wasting 32 verses trying to talk with his friends about what we should be in awe about, when he had the encounter with God, he changed what he was in awe of and what he was in awe of came upon him. Psalm 89, 7, you are a God who is greatly to be feared as you preside over the council of holy ones. You are surrounded by trembling ones who are overwhelmed with fear and dread, stunned as they stand in awe of you. What we fear the most comes upon us. Some of us need a little swift kick in the pants and a little sarcasm from God, don't we? Did he give Job some sarcasm? My goodness. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my revelation light to guide me along the way. He's the source of my salvation to defend me every day. I fear no one. I'll never turn back and run from you, Lord. Surround and protect me. Proverbs 28, 14, overjoyed is the one who with tender heart trembles before God. Overjoyed is the one who trembles before God. What you fear the most comes upon you. But the stubborn, unyielding heart will experience even greater evil. Overjoyed is the one with tender heart trembles before God. Psalm 119, 159. Lord, see how much I truly love your instructions. So in your tender kindness, breathe life into me again. The sum total of all your words adds up to absolute truth and every one of your righteous decrees is everlasting. The powerful elite have persecuted me without cause, but my heart trembles in awe because of your miracle words. We've got to get to the place like Job. We're literally trembling at the goodness of God. Are you afraid that he's too good? I despise every lie and hate every falsehood for I am passionate about keeping your precepts. Are you afraid God is too good? He's too good to be safe. And that's what you need to be afraid of. Come on, is your God too good to be safe? And if you thought he was, would you quit following him? And if you don't think him, I tell you, you're not following him. You're following something else. It's the best kind of unsafe. It's the most rewarding loss. 
It's the most beautiful surrender. It's the most perfect failure as the world sees it. The greatest blessings in my life have been failures. John and I were just talking about one yesterday. Boy, that's one of the biggest failures I ever had. Yeah, look at what God brought from it. Wasn't that amazing? So thankful for that failure. God tempts no man. God would that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. He didn't put sickness on Job. He put increase on Job, period. God is about the big picture, the net, the net. What is the net of your life? And you avoid it for the momentary light affliction. You avoid the net increase he wants to bring to you. You pull your money out of the stock market at the wrong time. When the road looks a little rocky, Anybody that knows him and sees him like Job says, hey, there's absolutely no doubt this is not where it's going to stay. Why would we sit around for 32 chapters trying to figure out why we are where we are? Because I'm not staying here. (laughs) All I need to be doing is trying to talk to the one who's taking me where I'm going instead of trying to figure out from everybody why I'm where I'm at. counsel ourselves into depression. <clears throat> Hebrews 12, 28. Since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in absolute surrender filled with awe. Is that where you are? Even in the 32 verses, is that where you are? Since we're receiving our rights, what's happening, man? I'm, I'm, you're receiving your rights. You're receiving your inheritance. God's doing exactly what he told you he's going to do. He's bringing increase to your life. He's working all things good for those that love him and call according to his purpose. That's what he's doing. Are you wondering what's going on? If you keep having conversations, I'm going to smack you. I'm going to come down there and I'm going to tell you to put your belt on like a man and I'm going to tell you to tell me about how you made the world. And if you can't tell me that, I'm going to tell you to be quiet and trust me because I'm so good and I love you so much and it kills me to see you robbed of joy and peace. I don't want to just get you stuff. I want to get you stuff and I want you to have joy and peace in the process. Job was perfect in doing all the stuff, but it wasn't enough for God. Can you just see Job before he talks to Satan like he talked to the rich young ruler in the New Testament? Jesus told the rich young ruler, he said, what do I have to do? What do I need to do to be perfect? Okay, can you just pretend Job is the rich young ruler? And that's why Job has done what he's done. What do I have to do to be perfect? Jesus told the rich young ruler what all you had to do, right? That's what you had to do, be perfect to the law. Well, I've kept all that since my youth. I'm, I'm good then. Gucci. 
So Moses, uh, so Job's down there. You know, Rich Young Ruler, the whole conversation happened in one day. Job's conversation was spread out. So Job's down there for years. I heard what he said. Spinning plates, praying, doing perfect stuff, living like an orphan, living like a slave, trying my best to make God happy, trying to be perfect. And then God's like, you lack one thing, Job. You got no joy in this. You're doing this out of necessity. You're doing this out of dread. You're doing this out of fear. And that means it's pointless to do it at all. Because I didn't make man to do stuff for me. I made man to live in fellowship with me. And if you don't know me, it doesn't matter what you do. So next time God saw Satan, he said, I'm going to let my little chump over here do my dirty work for me. Let him think he's winning like, like I'm going to do big time here in a few years. <laughs> Go ahead. Show us what you got. Show us what you got, and I'll show you what I got. I got a plan. He's going to have double, but more than double, he's going to have joy. And he's going to know me. And that's why I made him. I'd rather have nothing than know him than have everything and not know him. Wouldn't you? If you really believe that, then surrender to unsafe. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing. Elections. Nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in all things, with prayer and supplication, make your request be known. But be anxious for nothing. Do nothing out of anxiety. Fear. See him lay out the expanse of the earth. See him take his hands and compress the gases and form the sun, the disturbance in the atmosphere. See him be God and let everyone else be a lie. Surrender to unsafe. I call you today to absolute surrender because I believe God has such amazing plans, has such amazing increase, has such amazing, oh man, what are you talking about? We just want stuff. No, forget about stuff. Stuff is a byproduct. I would that you prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. What God wants to do is what everything else in your life will mimic, will become like. He wants you to be thriving in your soul and you can only do that if you know him and you can only know him if you surrender to unsafe. Stand up with me today. So that was the sermon I thought I was going to preach today. 
And then God changed my sermon to the second part of the sermon. It's the next step of surrendering to unsafe. So next week, we're going to throw this sermon out and say it's no longer relevant. It was a good starting place, but it's not the ending point. I believe he wants to take us further. But let's just stay caught up today. How's that? Surrender to unsafe. Guys, somebody come play for a minute. I believe that desperately, passionately, God is communicating and revealing and attempting to get increase to those that love him. It's the answer to every question. Us being the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. But those that are going to call him father are to be holy as he is holy. I didn't say there to be holiness. I said there to be holy. The only way you can be holy is to not have lack. And I believe he's telling us, like he told the rich young ruler, like he told Job, I could get more to you if you would let me. We don't like to put it in the context that you still lack one thing because we're all like, no, I don't. Okay, forget it. You're everything, but he can get you more. So if he can get more in, then you're not whole, right? Can we disagree with that? Can he get more in? You think he could possibly get more in? So why not? I'd say we got control. about doing stuff. The greatest struggle of my life at this point in my life is being raised in church and raised in, in, in this whole culture. And I know, I know the workings of the adversary and every message I deliver. I know, I know that a a large percentage of people are just receiving it as me trying to put a yoke on them to do more. I know that, I know that, I know that. And my heart's cry is that you would hear it differently. My heart's cry is somehow that it would communicate that it's not about doing more. It's about being more. It's about receiving more. It's about having more. It's about what he's trying to get to you, what he's trying to get through you, what he's trying to get in you. All of that is the lens. I'm telling you, this master culture of manipulation. 
That lens of religion wants you to reject every true thing that's spoken to you. It wants you to somehow see everything is trying to get something from you or trying to get something on you or trying to get something. And we reject it. And that spirit is so good at doing that. I just bind that spirit in Jesus' name. I bind the spirit of religion right now in Jesus' name. We just release the truth today. You love your people. You love your people. You're passionate about your people. You want them to be complete and lacking nothing, holy, just like you. You've paid a high price so that they could not walk in lack. And so I curse every lying voice and every stronghold. We just destroy speculations right now in Jesus' name. And I just say surrender to unsafe and be free and be full. You just put your hands up if that's you today, if you'll do that. Just as a response to the word, just a surrender. We say this, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes for me to be complete and lacking nothing, holy like you. I ask you to do it in me, in Jesus' name. Come on, will you say that prayer? You're going to surrender to unsaved, but not say that prayer? Will you say that prayer? Whatever it takes, that there would be no lack in me, so be it, in Jesus' name. Whatever it takes, for there to be no lack in me, for me to truly know you and to encounter you and to experience you, for you to come upon me, whatever it takes, I'm willing, I'm available, I'm tired, I come boldly today. I need your yoke that's easy and I need your burden that's light. I got to get off the treadmill. I got to get off the hamster wheel. I got to get off the plate spinning. I got to get off all the things that is causing me to strive and slave because of a limited understanding of your heart. Whatever it takes to change me, to purge me, to get this out of me, so be it in Jesus' name. I'm yours. You've conquered me. You've won me. I'm in awe of you. You're in charge. And I will follow you. Take the pen and write my story. And write every chapter that needs to be written. In Jesus' name. 
Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.